0: Welcome to The Daily Boogie. Welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Good to be with you. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over, head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Follow me on Twitter at boogie bumper. And of course, if you want to support the show by subscribing, just hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. Well, midterm May Day, it's the big day over in the United States. At the time of recording this, the first polls are due to close in around an hour and a half, and myself, like many of many people inside and outside the US, are watching carefully to see what happens. Just before we get into, I, I thought it might be a good idea to just go back and look at some of the things that happened during the campaigns, uh, look at some things that have happened in the subsequent weeks to this particular, particularly important voting day for many people in the United States and of course understand that you know uh, by tomorrow there's going to be a lot of disappointed people, there's going to be a lot of happy people and there's going to be a certain amount of mix in between but just before we do get into that I was thinking, you know, you know those moments where you just wake up in the middle of the night and you have to jot something down and you're not particularly sure what it means when you wake up you know, comedy writers and stuff do this kind of thing. So I was asleep, I had some kind of thought, and I woke up and I jotted it down on the notepad on my, uh, on my mobile phone. And I woke up later on to this, media drumming up hate that doesn't exist to create a perception based on ideology. And I had to think to myself for a while, what, what does that possibly mean? But I do think, you know, in trying to decipher my own random thoughts, I I do think I understand what it is that I thought I meant at the time. If you think about the previous two years leading up to this particular day, now put yourself in the mind of a Democrat for a moment. On the day after Donald Trump won the presidential election, they, they didn't go to sleep. You know, they didn't curl up into a ball. Many of their supporters were crying and screaming on the streets, obviously, but that doesn't mean that the politicians and the leaders of the Democratic Party movement weren't already planning their return from that moment. Of course, it's true to say that, oh, they never suspected to lose. They didn't expect to lose to Donald Trump in the first place. That's probably true. But the moment that they knew that they had lost, they would have already been scheming and planning to get back into power that's that's what you do that's what politicians do that's what they get paid to do since then of course you know, you know right you know about the kind of media campaign that's been running against the president since then nazi bigot hatred he hates everybody the country's never been so divided you know i remember thinking on the on the night they were saying well the election of donald trump proves that the country has never been so divided which is, of course, rubbish because all elections are divisive by nature, <laughs> especially, especially in a two-party system. I mean, you're either going to vote for one team or the other team. That's pretty much it. So, by definition, the situation is divisive. There's no getting around it. And you just know if Hillary Clinton had have won, the rhetoric from the corporate press would have been, the country's never been un- more united. You know, the, America stands united behind the first female president. Donald Trump wins, oh, they cut. this proves the country's never been so divided, <laughs> right? But there was a need, I think, to project the hatred that they see and they hear and they feel, you know, either real or otherwise, every single day in order to get to a certain, this moment, this moment in time. The corporate press likes to constantly talk about, you know, the fact that Donald Trump and other politicians in the Republican Party are constantly, you know, using fear, pushing fear. Ah, oh, they're always pushing fear onto everyone, using fear as a weapon. And, you know, in the podcast entitled Fear, we went over this, of course. The media is using fear every single day. You need to fear the Nazis. I mean... <laughs> Steven Schmidt on MSNBC This is just like The same rhetoric in 1938 This is Trump's Reichstag fire Everything's Nazis All Nazi all the time He hates you He hates your family He hates your children He wants your sick children To get cancer and die He hates Obamacare He's a Nazi He hates Jews Hate, 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 fear, 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 all the time. And, you know, if you, if you think about it objectively, there's a good reason that they would do this. You know, some people are like, why are they carrying, why are they going so crazy? Well, they need to energize people. They need to energize the resistance. And a great way to energize people, as they often argue that Donald Trump is doing, he's always oh, energizing his base through fear. And of course, they will admit that it works. So is it so ridiculous to think that they have, they too are using this well-known tactic of mobilization known as, quote-unquote, pushing fear, in their words? It makes total sense. One of the things that they don't often discuss in the corporate press, and this feeds into it, is the civil war that's happening on the left-hand side of the aisle within the Democrat Party. The moderates, we've, we've discussed this before, the moderates are being, uh, they're under attack, they're under under siege from the hard left. And if you put yourself in the mind of a hard left Democrat over the last two years, you've been completely embarrassed. You've been completely dishevelled, embarrassed. You've been humiliated. And one of the things you do is you blame the moderates I mean, look at the aftermath of the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. When Brett, when Brett Kavanaugh was finally confirmed, when he was placed on the Supreme Court, opinion piece after opinion piece after opinion piece from all of the usual left-wing suspects all said the exact same thing. Oh, we've been too nice. The Democrats need to play harder. They've been way too nice. They're not prepared to play rough. And you would think that's ridiculous, considering the fact that now two women have come forward and said that they made up the rape accusations that they leveled against Brett Kavanaugh. And remember, the the Democrats said he can't be elected because they must be believed. Therefore, by proxy, he is a gang rapist. You know, if if that's not playing hardball, then I'm not sure what is. If calling the, the current president Donald, uh, Adolf Hitler at every possible opportunity isn't playing hardball. I'm not sure what is. But nonetheless, the belief is there that the moderate Democrats have let this happen, that they couldn't stop Donald Trump. They let this guy get into office. And so if you're a hard left on the Democrat side, you need, you, they need to be removed. They need to be replaced. Now there's a lot of talk around these midterms that there's never been so much there's never been so much activity from voters, and that's true. A record number of new voter registrations, extremely high turnout numbers, very high early polling numbers, particularly from the Republicans, which is unheard of. How much of that is rage from the uh, Kavanaugh scandal? Who's to say? I suspect a good deal of it is people who were angered by the way that Brett Kavanaugh was treated. But they're definitely saying that there is a lot of voter engagement. Now, place that against what we saw in the primary season, particularly in places like New York and LA, very, very, very deep blue. There they were near record low turnouts for the Democratic primaries. And when you consider that, does that mean, could that mean that a large number of moderate Democrats are not turning out for the primaries, leading to the election of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York, which would have been unheard of a few years ago. I mean, she turfed out a you know a multi-time Democrat congressional candidate, an incumbent, who, who wasn't even in the local area when he was removed. He was in his office in Washington. His aides had to knock on the door and say, you lost. They couldn't believe it. And lost to a socialist. Thus cementing the reality that there is indeed a civil war inside the Democrat Party. The hard left trying to move out the moderate left. And one could argue that the Republican Party have gone through the exact same process and the election of Donald Trump was merely the manifestation of that civil war. You know, the Tea Party has won. The, the quote-unquote radicals won. They beat the establishment. They got their man in the White House, for better or worse. And one could say that the Democrat Party is now going through a similar process. But when we look at the midterm elections now, with the high voter turnouts, the high voter registrations, we spoke about this in a previous podcast, various not-for-profit groups... I forget the name, something like Democracy Now or Get Up and Vote, Get Out and Vote, claiming to be bipartisan, but of course, when you jump on the website, it has all of the usual hard left talking points and buzzwords. They were claiming success. 800,000 people now registered to vote. It's a record. And that's fantastic. But of course, it depends on where those voters are. If the voters are in LA and New York, it's not going to make any difference if the votes are spread around certain areas in in you know swinging congressional seats, then it may, might make a lot of difference. So with this civil war on the left, I think that then forces the party leadership to move further to the left in order to get the kind of voter engagement they need to flip Republican seats that were won between 2010 and 2014. As Barack Obama lost you know, a fair number, a a really big chunk of seats in his first midterm outing. So too with Bill Clinton. We'll get to that a little later. But in order to get the kind of voter numbers that they need to flip these swinging seats in suburban areas that have been held by Republicans since the election of Barack Obama, Well, if the moderate voters are disengaged and disenfranchised from the previous two years, it's going to be very hard to motivate them on a platform of resist because Donald Trump's Adolf Hitler. You need new voters to replace the moderates. One might argue a two year long, a two year running campaign of fear and hatred and calling everyone a Nazi and saying everyone's racist is just the perfect mix. To get those kinds of voters energized and out to the polls in the suburban areas, in order to remove Republicans. How successful that's going to be long term? We'll get to that later on. What if Andrew Gillum wins the governorship of Florida, the gubernatorial race in Florida? Arguably, again, in years gone by, it would have been unheard of for someone that was so far to the left, with as much baggage as this guy has in regards to corruption investigations by the FBI being conducted into him right now, and his extremely poor record as the mayor of Tallahassee in Florida, it would have been unheard of to say that this race would be even close when compared to his opposite Ron DeSantis, but close it is. The Florida polls close relatively soon. If the count looks good for Andrew Gillum, I suspect there's going to be a lot of people who are up late, rather than eating popcorn and drinking champagne, perhaps biting through fingernails. But we'll wait and see. What if the Democrats win the House? What happens then? I, like most people, think that it's unlikely that the Democrats will win control of the Senate. So let's just put that to one side for now. The House is a little bit more complicated, like we discussed. The suburban seats that were run won by Dem- uh, Republicans between 2010 and 2014 are very much up for grabs. Something else to consider is the fact that a lot of Republican seats uh, have lost their incumbent. You know, incumbency is uh, a lot harder to overcome than an open seat. An open seat's a very different ball game. And a lot of Republican congressmen and women have stepped down since the election of Donald Trump. You know, it's often said in politics that the incumbent doesn't lose. Uh, the The challenger doesn't win an election. The incumbent loses it. So will that make much of a difference in the final count? Who's to say? Barack Obama, by the way, had the lowest turnout in 2014. And this year, of course, Donald Trump is on target to have one of the highest turnouts for a midterm ever. To comrades on the left who are angry at Donald Trump, I would say, wait, didn't you want everybody to be involved in politics? You should be happy about this. (laughs) Clearly, Donald Trump is excellent at getting people involved in the political system again. So no need to feel unloved. If Donald Trump holds the House and the Senate, he will be overcoming decades of history. Usually, usually the generally accepted wisdom is whichever party holds the White House, they lose the House and the Senate, or at least one of the two in the years following the, their election to the big job, the top job. So it's a very difficult task for Donald Trump and the Republicans to hold on here. But even if they do lose, I think they need to lose maybe 23 seats or 24 seats in order to lose control of the House. If Donald Trump loses 23 or 24 seats, it's almost still a win when you consider against the backdrop, the performances by Barack Obama and Bill Clinton in their first midterm elections where they lost almost double that number, each of them. In the case of one of them, I think it was more than double. The media will be quick to spin the loss of 23 or 24 congressional seats as a referendum on Donald Trump, proof that everybody is sick and tired of this racial demagogue and his bigotry, a repudiation of the Trump agenda. The country is united again (laughs) behind the Democrats. You can see the headlines already. But arguably, it will still be one of the best performances in history, by an incumbent party that owns the White House. So what if the Democrats win? Well, they, if they win the House, they'll take control of the chairmanships of the various committees, which means they will be able to investigate whatever they want. In the long term... And this is an honest question. Are the Democrats capable of winning back the working-class voters that they have been bleeding to the other side now for a number of years? Are they capable of doing that? And are they capable of doing that once they get the keys to the kingdom and the chairmanships of the various committees on Capitol Hill? Will they be devising new strategies and new policies, new policy positions? doing their best to lure back the voters that they lost in places like Pennsylvania in the, in the so-called Rust Belt in 2016? Will they be doing their best to win people back in those areas? Or will they merely go 100% foot to the floor, investigate every Russian that's ever set foot in a McDonald's to buy a quarter pounder over the last 25 years and move directly for impeachment of the president? One might argue that the, the Republicans losing the House of Congress in this particular midterm could actually be a net gain to Donald Trump and the Republicans heading into 2020. I know it sounds ridiculous. I'm not selling, I'm not selling hope porn here for my Republican listeners. Arguably, when the Republicans moved to impeach Bill Clinton back in the 90s, It was was arguably the most stupid possible strategic move they could have done against Bill Clinton, who who was not particularly popular at the time. From that effort to impeach him, it started a mass campaign of support for Bill Clinton, and he won another term on the back of it. And it took the Republicans years and years and years to recover from that mistake. At the same time in his presidency, Donald Trump is far more popular than Bill Clinton was, far more popular than Barack Obama was. The corporate media and their mouthpieces in politics will say that Donald Trump is the most unpopular president who's ever lived, but that is just simply not the case. Simply not true. That's just a lie. He's definitely, arguably, the most popular Republican president that's ever been, more so than Reagan. And across the board, like I said, it translates to him being more popular at this particular time in his presidency than both of the previous Democrat presidents. So would a move to impeach such a popular president be a net gain to the Democrats? Would that win back the blue-collar voters that they lost in the previous years? I would suggest not. How about using their position as being in control of the House to rail against things like tax cuts? Is that going to help them win back the working-class voters that they lost? Or are they concerned, more concerned with courting the hard left in order to win votes in the suburban seats that they need to win to remove Republicans that won between 2010 and 2014. We know that most Americans favour some kind of immigration reform. In recent times the leadership of the Democrat Party has floated suggested ideas such as abolishing ICE. Nancy Pelosi in particular dislikes it when Donald Trump refers to MS-13 gang members as animals. They have a, dis- a divine spark, remember? Like it or lump it, true or otherwise, the perception is definitely floating around out there, and it's a popular one, that the leadership of the Democrat Party cares more for the well-being of non-citizens entering the country illegally than it does for the citizens that used to be their constituents in places like the Blue Wall, the working class and the middle class. That's the perception about the leadership of the party. (laughs) If they end up controlling the House of Congress after tonight, after the vote tonight, will they stand in the way of immigration reform that arguably the majority of their supporters agree with? Or will they continue to court the hard left In order to win support in the suburban areas that they need to win to remove Republicans, imagine another two years of this leading into 2020. Will they still be as popular with the voters in suburban areas? that they need to win to lock out Republicans in 2020. If they stand on the platform of resistance, impeachment, Russian collusion, big taxation and open borders from their position as being the majority party in the House of Congress. We'll know more by this time tomorrow. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash boogiebumper. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please do at boogiebumper. And if you want to subscribe, hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational, God bless, and good luck, whoever you're voting for today. Good night.